Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. City on a Hill is the young adult Catholic ministry in Kansas City. Our mission is to be the community that inspires and forms our generation to be saints. We hope that this episode can offer some inspiration to your life as well as give you a glimpse into our community. Welcome back to another episode of the City on a Hill podcast, where we interview Catholic young adults about their stories of faith and how they're trying to live out the faith in the world today. I'm Father Andrew Mattingly. I'm the director of City on a Hill Young Adult Ministry, which is a ministry based in Kansas City. Um, And I'm here today with, well, I guess I'll, I usually introduce, I'll just let you guys introduce yourself. Who am I here with? You're with Dane Finney. Um, Father, what's my title? Associate Director of Mission. Thank you. Um, Dear listeners, this is the second edition of Job Titles, so I get a little confused. Um, But yeah, and we're with our third teammate, which is so exciting to have her here. And we get to hear all about Taylor's life. So go ahead, Tay. Who are you? I am Taylor Downey, and I also work for City on a Hill, and I am the Events and Membership Manager. Great. And your title hasn't changed, so that's probably... Helpful yeah. for clarity. <laughs> Easy to commit to memory. Yeah. Oh, great! It's good to be back on the on the show. And um, yeah, if you're not familiar with the City on a Hill podcast, uh, as I said, we just sort of basically interview Catholic young adults and get their testimonies um, because there's almost nothing more inspiring than than hearing somebody's story of faith, uh, both past and and present, how the Lord is working in their life now as well. Um, I think before we began recording, you had something stuck in your eye, Taylor. <laughs> uh, my eye has been twitching for the last 24 hours. Ooh. Not sure if I'm dehydrated. I also don't know if you can tell, but I hope you can't. Yeah, it looks terrible. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> Good thing you can't see <laughs> us <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it's funny. I was, I was talking with someone the other day about a twitching eye because... Um, there's going to be like three layers back to understand how we got onto that topic. But, um, in seminary, we had a, uh, sort of a, a workshop on preaching for like a week before our classes started one year. And one of the things the priest who was facilitating this workshop had us all do at one point is to go around and share the most memorable homily that we'd ever heard. I remember one guy in my class shared this incredible, uh, homily from uh, this old priest um, in his diocese. Um, and this priest got up, uh, it was the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. This priest gets up and, and have I told you guys the story? No. no. Okay. And he, he gets up and he, he goes, today is the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis had the stigmata. I thought I had the stigmata once. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was just a stigmatism in my eye. <laughs> Let, let us pray. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's going a little senile or something. I was just trying to pull people's legs. But I really want to do that one day. Just sort of, yeah, get up and. <laughs> can I take the prompt? Can I can I share a story about the funniest? Take it and run. I wasn't in seminary classes. Uh, don't want to scandalize anyone. But this priest who he was legitimately. Um, um, advanced in years and just kind of detached from reality and didn't really know where he was. And I'm not going to make light of that, but there's a certain frankness that's just refreshing, right? And so one of his fellow priests had gotten up to give a homily 
And this man, in the middle of his confer's homily, lights a cigarette and starts smoking a cigarette. <laughs> so that happened once in in the church. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Hysterical, what? right? So how do you the the questions that open up in my mind? Because he was because to- he was like fully senile at that point. Yeah, 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 he was so not with it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And so you just you just have to laugh at that. But my questions are: how do you how do you snuff that out? Quite literally, how do you like contain it so that people aren't distracted? I mean, there's just a litany of questions, right? Okay, so s- same priest, um, outside of his mind a little bit, and um, different preacher. Oh, this one's funnier. And he gets up to start speaking to give the homily. Goes on for a little bit of time, and the gentleman, the priest, sits in the chair and he goes, "Words, words, words!" Shouting it over the fact that this homily was going nowhere fast. Oh no! <laughs> I thank you, Lord. I was not in either of those masses because I would have had to have left. I mean, the amount of hysteria, even in imagining these, I just find. <laughs> I ha- okay. I have to share yeah, this. Go. The most memorable homily. Yes. He, this is a priest who became a good friend of our family, and um, he was working on his English, and we knew that. Um, and so he was giving a homily at a Sunday Mass, and my mom and I were sitting next to each other, and it must have been, yeah, I don't remember what it was, what the hom- or what the gospel was, but he was uh, preaching on the Holy Spirit, and he builds it up, and he's like, you know what the Holy Spirit is like? It overcomes you just like diarrhea. <laughs> I kid you not. We looked at each other, I think silently saying, I hope that he got the translation right. And he's like, sometimes the Holy Spirit just hits you and you just got to get up and run with it. And we were like, oh, no. Awesome. He, he certainly had his translations that's, correctly. That's but awesome. Yeah, it was really, that's really awesome. good. I've never heard the Holy Spirit compared to diarrhea, but... I couldn't say that before this either. Never heard it compared since. Hey, whatever analogy is helpful, you know? It's stuck in your mind. Yeah, I never forgot it. Yeah, you're never going to forget that. (laughs) That is great. Wow. Wow. This is the richest banter at the beginning. That we've had so far? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I'm honored. It's, it's because of shared life, you know? Yeah, let's true. Just, let's just go there. Yeah, thanks for sharing about your twitching eye. Of that, course. That's what got it rolling. Yeah. Of course. I just needed you to know if I look funny from across the table. Yeah. I've been with you a lot today. It's amazing. It's true. Mm. We also, because uh, the air conditioning unit in the building we're in super loud, we turn the thermostat up so that it doesn't come on. So it might get a little hot in here. So if one of the podcasters passes out, we're just going to keep going. No offense. It's like the holy mass. Just keep trucking, right? Exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, Taylor, it's good to have you as a guest on the show. And uh, yeah, normally, so far at least, um, well, I mean, you've listened to some of the podcasts already, so it's not new to you, but we normally don't have much complexity in our first question. Just tell us your story of faith. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think I have to go all the way back to the beginning to 1996, April Fool's Day. My entire life has been a joke <laughs> since. <Nice. laughs> um, 
quite literally, my parents chose to have me induced on the first. Wow. The first was a number in our family. My oldest brother was born on the first. They were married on the first. So they chose April 1st. So when was your actual due date? Do you know? Uh, like the week prior, I believe, like okay. the very end of March. Okay. Um, but I was a particularly difficult pregnancy for my mom because um, this is part of it too. My my brothers are eight and ten years older than I am, and so my mom was quite a bit older when um, she finally got pregnant with me, and so she was just ready to have the pregnancy be done. Um, hence the in- inducing. But yeah, I have never been short of love in all of my life. Um, I was born into a family. My dad so eagerly wanted a little girl. Um, They'd been waiting, like I said, eight years since they had my middle brother. So they were excited for another pregnancy. Um, And my two brothers were quite doting of their little sister, Taylor. They have a lot of stories they could tell you about me in my early years of life. Um, And I say that I grew up with four parents, not two. So, yeah, I was just the shining little girl that came into the family, had a full closet of pink clothes and my Winnie the Pooh nursery and born a cradle Catholic. So I was baptized um, shortly after being born. And, yeah, it's really amazing when I look back because I think about my life and um, there there aren't many times where I could say that I felt unloved, um, which is really I think the great foundation of like where my faith comes from. Um, so yeah, like moving forward, it it took me a while to recognize this and realize this in my life. So moving forward, I went to tr- to mass on Sundays growing up. Uh, we never missed. Went to CCD as it used to be called <laughs> on Tuesdays. Um, but past that, um, we didn't have a ton of other things in our family in our sphere of life that was. Catholic um, until much later in life. And so from when I can remember, my brothers did a Protestant ministry out in the suburbs um, called Young Life. We were at an interesting parish that had been newly established in Lee Summit. And so I went to Saturday night vigil if we went in a Methodist church that our parish rented. And Sunday morning mass was held in the gym of a public school. So I'd never seen kneelers until I got to college, which was just totally different. I didn't know when to sit, stand, kneel. I just, yeah, because it's different if if you don't have that. Um, I took my first communion in the Methodist church, but obviously in mass, not not for the Methodist church, for the Catholic church. Um, And then went all the way through CCD until confirmation or, yeah, religious education through confirmation um, at the same parish. But simultaneously, our family was involved with Young Life. My parents were big supporters. Um, Some of our early formation of being a Christian for both my brothers and I came from Young Life. Um, But then I also had an added layer. Hopefully we don't need to edit that out. Yeah, you can can go back. You can start with, but I also had. Um, Yeah, (laughs) but I also had an added layer. Because I went to Kanakuk camps as a kid, if you're familiar. Um, So it is a Christian sports camp down in Branson, and they have a number of different camps that focus on different things. So I went to K-7, um, which was really attractive as a kid. I started going as early as I could, age seven, and you buy these big trunks and you pack them up. I think this is where my organization comes from. I loved organizing my trunk for camp with packing my bedding and all of my things. Um, And yeah, age seven, my parents dropped me off with a trunk as big as me, and I stayed for a week. 
and you run hard at camp from activity to activity and it's like the most amazing activities from Mm -hmm. like those banana boats that you pull behind a boat and and jet skiing and um, high ropes course and this huge water slide that you plummet straight down an amazing pool with a big blob that you launch people off of um, but the the really amazing thing about it was everything was rooted in prayer. You started and ended every single activity with prayer. Um, you prayed when you were on the ropes course and you got scared. Um, every night you, I can't remember what they call everything, but every night you, you know, basically had Bible study together as a group and mm-hmm. it changed for the ages. You were with your teepee of girls or guys, respectively. Um yeah, and I and I distinctly remember you had these necklaces um and you would just put those like really basic beads on every time you did an activity so you get to pick your color. Um but the cool piece was is they talked a lot about accepting Jesus into your heart. And if you did that, then you got to put a glow in the dark cross on your necklace <laughs> and Bri- ring a bell. Bribery, well. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then you <laughs> ring a bell and if the bell rang while you were at any activity, everyone stopped what they were doing and cheered because um wow. yeah, what they were rooted in was like yeah, that choosing to invite Jesus into your heart and then from there you were saved, you were yeah, destined for heaven. So I remember I did that as a seven-year-old my first year at camp because everyone else was doing it and I wanted the glow-in-the-dark cross. But I kept going to Canacuck, um until through middle school until I could get involved with Young Life. And I actually ended up doing it again, um, which my like camp counselors talked me through that uh, that was okay to do it again if I didn't really take it seriously or maybe I didn't fully understand it as a seven-year-old. You mean you accepted Jesus? Yeah, I accepted okay. Jesus twice. Oh, wow. Twice wow. into my okay. life. I got two crosses. So, nice. <laughs> yeah. Double dip. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so then, yeah, so that was like young life. Um, you know, I'd learn about sacraments on Tuesdays and I would go to Mass on Sundays, but then every summer I would be rooted in. I wish I really understood um, what Canacuck was rooted in. That's a story for another day. But um, yeah, so then I got to high school and my brothers had done Young Life, so I was going to do Young Life. We didn't really have a big presence of a of a young uh, or youth ministry, young adult now, but youth yeah. ministry then at uh, the parish I went to growing up. And so instead, we kind of channeled our energy or supplemented with Young Life, um, which they called a party on a school night. That was their tagline. <laughs> and <laughs> I got to grow up watching my brothers host it in our basement. And like literally 150 kids would show up at our house every Tuesday and they would pile their shoes in our foyer. And then we would move the furniture and set up a screen and they would play games and they would sing songs. And then someone would give up, get up and talk about the Bible at the end. And then afterwards, they'd all hang out in our front yard for like an hour until way past my bedtime. But I always got to stay up. So it was this really attractive thing to me growing up. Mm. So I couldn't wait to get involved in Young Life. Mm. Um, And so then, yeah, getting a little tangential here, but got involved with Young Life in high school. And so I think like a combination of my childhood and uh, my experience in Young Life and like this idea of accepting Jesus into my heart, it really painted Jesus as this like loving person um, and really motivated me to want to be a good person. Um, But there wasn't much action outside of that besides, you know, just being a generically good person. So then when I got to Young Life, it it exposed me to more of like the evangelization side of the faith. And so um, right away, I was identified as like a young leader. So I got to go to things that the older 
high school girls got to go to that maybe the freshmen didn't get to come to, which was ultimately like preparing me to be uh, what they call a junior leader my senior year. So I got to help lead the freshmen when I was a senior. So um, yeah, you'd have, they called it club or the party on a school night on Tuesdays and then usually a Bible study another day of the week. And then they also had a summer camp with a similar thing of like inviting Jesus into your heart. Hmm. Um, But at this point I was convicted that like Jesus was already I maybe wouldn't have phrased it this way, but like dwelling um, in my heart. So, um, yeah, I kind of had those two pieces of like a loving Christ that I must go and share um, from both Hmm. Kinnecuck and Young Life. Um, But it didn't really motivate much action outside of my life um, besides, like I said, just being a good person. So when I get to college is where things really get shaken up, um, which I remember someone telling me that. I would learn more outside of the classroom than I ever would inside the classroom. And looking back, it's so true of just the different formation opportunities that I took, whether it be like leadership opportunities in my sorority or, um, yeah, the leadership opportunities I ended up getting involved in at the Newman Center. But it, it took a while that freshman year, which people don't tell you when you go to college that you're not going to have best friends in the first week, which was pretty earth shattering to me. Um, So I came off this like epic summer in a lot of ways. I had gone skydiving. I went on a cruise and swam with dolphins. And my brother Trevor was in the seminary um, at the time in Rome. And so we'd gotten to go visit Trevor in Rome and and take a little tour of Italy. Um, And it's interesting looking back because I had no idea what I was experiencing or seeing. I hadn't spent much time in the Bible, um, so I didn't quite understand the history that was contained there, particularly in Rome or the the things that I was seeing. I really didn't know Catholic Church history at all, so I really didn't know what I was seeing. Um, But one of the most interesting pieces was going to the catacombs. Have both of you been to Rome? I haven't. You haven't. So the catacombs, Father, you might have to help me out with my history here, but they're they're under the uh, St. Peter's Basilica, um, and it's like tr- like they bury it's where they bury people. Mm-hmm. Right? That's one of them. Yeah, there's a bunch of them in Rome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so the like culmination of the catacombs that we went in under the Vatican, or under yeah St. Peter's Basilica was they said that we were looking at St. Peter's bones, like. Yeah, which I'll get to later. But like, I just remember seeing this like little orange light tucked way back in these rocks. And they're like, that is said to be St. Peter's bones. And I remember being taken aback. But again, I didn't I don't think I really understood the weight of it in that moment. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, I ventured to Mizzou that fall. And my brother, again, Trevor in the seminary, had been praying that focus fellowship of the Catholic University students would be at Mizzou or at whatever college I chose. And at the time when I'd chosen Mizzou, there were no focus missionaries. But by the time I arrived that fall, they had their first team ever wow. of focus missionaries. Um, so the very first day of classes, I had no clue where I was going, but I showed up at the Newman Center and like asked the woman working at the front desk where I could meet the focus missionaries thinking that they'd just be sitting in, in the office or something. <laughs> like, uh, no, um, they might be leaving mass right now. And so we like rushed out of the office and went into the breezeway and caught the team, the, four, the team of four missionaries. And I, and I got introduced to them. Um, but that was, again, kind of it. I met one of them in particular, Claire, and, and she got my number and ended up inviting me into her Bible study. And, and so I signed up for that right away. 
But I also signed up for a Young Life Bible study, a K-Life Bible study, which is Kanakuk, um, and a fourth Bible study with Stumo. So that first semester, I didn't do a lot of studying in school. It was my worst semester of grades by far. But I did study the Bible a decent amount, uh, at least in social settings, maybe not on my own, but sitting around the table with other women. Um, And I remember realizing as that semester was coming to a close that I needed to decide like which one I could do. I couldn't be devoting four hours, four plus hours a week by the time I'd walk there and they'd go longer and I'd hang out or whatever. Um, But I didn't know where I was going to go because I had concrete reasons to stay in each of them, whether I liked the content better or the friends that I'd made better, whatever. And um, I remember towards the end of that fall semester with Claire, the focus missionary, we were reading Matthew 16. I think, uh, where Jesus asks the disciples, like, who do you say that I am? And it ends up by the end of um, chapter 16, uh, Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock you will build my church. And I was, like, transported back to Rome of looking at Peter's bones in that moment. And it, like, came full circle for me that how could I not be Catholic? I just remember there being there in that moment. Like, if this is the one church that can be traced back to when Jesus walked on the earth. Like, why would I not be Catholic? And so right there, I was like, okay, I'm in. Sign me up for the folks Bible study. I'll quit all of the other ones. Um, and Claire ended up asking me into discipleship, um, which I was a little bit nervous about. I didn't quite understand it, but I wanted to grow. I wanted to learn more. I didn't know how to say a Hail Mary at this point in my life, um, it, but I was ready to go all in. Um, so round out that second semester, and I want to get involved in other organizations and, and root my identity in something. And I remember sending this really frantic email to my brother, Trevor, like, I'm applying for all these different things, and no one's accepting me, and I don't even know who I am, and I don't even have good friends here. Like, why wouldn't I just, like, go back and go to community college? I just had my first niece born, so I was like, I could snuggle with her all the time, and my brother sent me this short email back, but really to the point, and he, he listed off this whole list of things. And he was like, you are not like daughter of Mark and Kelly Downey. Like you are not new aunt uh, to Adeline. Like you are not graduate of Lee Summit North. You, you know, mm-hmm. he listed off all of these things that would be easy to root my identity in. And he was like, above all, which again, going back to Matthew 3, I think 17, like you are a daughter of Christ and like he is well pleased with you. Um, And again, like just kind of hit me like, yeah, what do all of these things matter? Um, Yeah. It wasn't even my major that defined me. It wasn't where I was from. It wasn't the friends I did or didn't have, but that because of my baptism, um, I was a daughter of Christ. And so I would say from there was like the real moment in my life where I made the decision that like, it was more than just being a good person. It was more than just like having Jesus in your heart. But um, yeah, you you have to like be willing to grow in virtue, um, grow in discipline, to like really understand and embrace the sacraments, um, to like fully live your life for Christ um, is so much more than just making the right decisions. Um, so it's kind of a long-winded answer, but... I would say like these are the main things, which which if you go back to like the Bible study with Claire, 
like Jesus literally says, you are Peter. Like he establishes mm-hmm. identity first. And so seeing the two come together of like, even if I want to be Catholic, I had to be convicted of my identity first. So that first semester, that second semester, I kind of missed a piece of it. Um, but yeah, like the Lord totally was just like planting these seeds in my heart um, throughout my entire life from my baptism and, and even to today, right? Like these slow moments of conversion or continued conversion in my life to today. So yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, yeah that's um, that's good. I don't know if we've had someone on so far that kind of the main theme has been identity. I mean, that's everyone touches on that to some extent, but it's good. It's good to hear that kind of brought to kind of a, how would you put it? I don't know. That, that sounds like the theme basically of your Mm -hmm. sort of discovering who you are. Um, What would you say has been sort of, I guess the most significant challenge since that time? in terms of things that compete um, for kind of the center of your life, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, obviously recognizing that we're a son or daughter of God means that he becomes the center of our life. And I mean, since that time, would you, I mean, freshman year of college, basically, yeah. what would you say has been sort of the, the, the most uh, significant competitor, I guess, for that place in your heart? Mm-hmm. I think, I think to put it shortly, like where I spend my time, um, mm-hmm. like I said, like I knew I wanted to be a Christian and then like knew I wanted to be a Catholic, but I'd never really had someone say like, okay, then you need to spend time like reading the Bible or even just simply being in prayer <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and walking me through like this is how you pray or this is how you read scripture. Um, And so it was really easy to like go through the motions. Um, It is really easy today to go through the motions and show up at mass or or go to adoration. Um, But to really feel that like connection and continued growth in relationship with Jesus, um, I would say would be like the hardest, the hardest thing to like, sacrifice the time to sacrifice happy hour with friends or Mm -hmm. dinner with my family or sleeping in um, to make sure that I prioritize my relationship with Jesus Um, which for me personally like it's harder for me to pray in the four walls that I live in like it's easier for me to get into it to go to a church or even to go to a coffee shop and read my bible um but to like make that a special time just like I would any other relationship. Like I meet my dad in the morning for walks or my mom and I um, make dinner together or, you know, I go to a park with my niece and nephew, but like to really like set apart that time and intentionality to grow in relationship with Jesus too. What was it like after um, sort of this moment in your freshman year of college or moments, I guess, where you sort of, yeah, began to place the Lord fully at the center to root your identity in him, to build a sacramental life, build a prayer life, et cetera. Um, what was it like from that point up until now in terms of living, you know, on mission, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Um, how has that would have been the greatest joys, the greatest, you know, obstacles or difficulties? Yeah. 
Um, in college, it's so rooted in community. Um, and so, and, and you just have a different life schedule. Like it was really easy for me to put off studying to go sit for the whole holy hour. I remember just like laying on the floor of our Newman Center with a book open or a Bible open or a journal open and just like sitting and adoring Jesus and like continuing to become convicted that like I am worth adoring. Like the Lord Hmm. loves and delights in me too and, and desires to spend that time with me. So um, in college, it was awesome because I would get to go and experience, you know, the mass or adoration or retreats. Um, but then it also came with friends who I could talk about it or um, challenge in that too. So it was really beautiful. And I ended up um, getting really involved at the Newman Center and, and with focus. Um, so it, that was just really fun of the memories getting to be made of road tripping um, to retreats or to conferences. Um, and things of that nature, and then getting to serve on our Catholic Student Association board, um, of getting to kind of shake up how leadership had been done at the time and um, just allow it to be really, like, rooted and focused in in what Jesus wanted us to be doing on campus and giving us the freedom to live out evangelization on campus. And then transitioning out of college, I had a really non-traditional job my first year out of college, which I know both of you know, but I worked for the sorority that I was in in college, Kappa Kappa Gamma, and I was a leadership consultant. And so essentially I packed in a suitcase for the next nine months. Um, And in that time I went to, I believe, 33 campuses, 28 states, um, and would just meet with the executive boards and if you're unfamiliar with consulting, just come in and figure out kind of where their their big issues were, um, whether it was in risk management or um, with their finances or member engagement, and then help them come up with action plans to move forward and combat that. But I, I lived out of a suitcase on my own, so I had literally no routine. I would show up on Sunday night, and I would be handed a schedule for the week, and that's where I needed to be and when I needed to be. And so from there, I would Google, like, Is there a church nearby? Is there a Newman Center on campus? Um, I would put in my welcome letter to the chapters, like, hey, if you have any Catholic members, I'd love to go, like, check out the the Catholic campus ministry. And out of, like, the 33 chapters I went to, I'd say probably less than five had set me up with someone strategically, like, Mm -hmm. in that point in my, like, welcome letter. Um, So all of this to say, like, I had such a routine and such a community built at Mizzou and then to go on my own, it was really hard. Like in a lot of, a lot of ways, looking back, uh, that year was really stagnant in growth. I grew a lot as like a human and an individual and became disciplined in a lot of other ways. Um, but I feel like my relationship with Jesus, like didn't have much opportunity to grow. Um, I'd make it to mass most Sundays unless I was literally on a plane. My favorite mass ever was in the Atlanta airport Um, and I thought I'd missed it. I got off the plane immediately and Googled like what time is mass at the Atlanta airport. And yeah, I can't remember if I landed at noon and it was supposed to be at 11 and I had a pretty long layover and they ended up coming over the like PA system and were like mass and E terminal E at 1 PM. And I was like, ah, I can make it. So I like sprint through the airport with my Mm -hmm. suitcase and to see, yeah, all of these different people from different walks of life gather in this like super plain chapel um, to celebrate mass together was really cool. But yeah, 
that was really difficult. And then from there, moving back to Kansas City, and, and I feel like it just, I'm, I'm a person that thrives on routine. And so it's just taken me a while to figure out um, what it looks like to to be Catholic, to live in the sacraments, um, being like an adult in the working world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Tay, if you could um, give a 23-year-old Taylor Downey a piece of advice, or 22, however old you were whenever you took the Catholic job, <clears throat> now that you know what you know, what would have blessed your prayer life where you could look back and say, man, I, I think I grew. Um, would it be yeah, how would you advise yourself? Mm-hmm. That all you need is 10 minutes a day. <laughs> it's just important to be like in the habit, in the routine of like turning to Jesus at least once every day and thanking him for the gifts that you have. I think for me, unless I could, I was just in such the mindset because my, my faith and my prayer life really grew at Mizzou in the confines of a chapel. It was really hard for me to imagine that I could pray elsewhere. Um, And so Jesus could have met me in the 15 minutes I had between meetings or on the 30 minute layover, but just to like open scripture and, and sit with Jesus would have been great for any amount of time, even if not in a chapel. Thanks for that. It's practical. Mm -hmm. And the, and the visual of the different environments. uh, Yeah, there is time actually. Right. Father, you say this a lot, that like living a plan of life well and living a life of order well is taking advantage of the small pockets of time. And I received similar professional advice that if an email takes you less than three minutes to respond and you're waiting for a meeting to start, then like respond on your phone. So you have less to do when you get back to your computer, Um, which that's obviously super like productive minded. Um, Mm -hmm. But but truly to like look at the pockets of your day, like, and even just like offer some prayers of Thanksgiving in that small pocket of time that you have, or to ask a saint to pray for you, you know, anything would have been worth it for what I was not doing at the time. What's been the, I guess I'll rephrase that. Have you, have you seen someone in your time at Mizzou or afterwards, a friend or acquaintance or somebody sort of come to, but especially someone you were somewhat close with, like come to full flowering of their faith, you know, like they've made a decision to follow the Lord um, and to sort of become a, a real disciple. And um, I don't know, paint paint that picture for us a little bit. Like if someone that I'm friends with? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Or even someone you saw maybe from somewhat of a distance, but you, like it inspired you to see this person decide to put the lord at the center of everything yeah um i don't think she'd care if i said another a fellow city on a hill person but i when so i finished working for kappa and then worked for cerner and so i would meet um for walks or for lunch when we were both in town i would meet jessica lee yeah. and she would talk about um how she'd been working to grow towards like cultivating that routine and habit of prayer um typically in the mornings before her work day began which i couldn't fathom because i was so not a morning person at that when i worked for cerner i've grown into a morning person in the last six to eight months probably um once i got more stable with cerner but when i was traveling i wasn't um 
But then also just like the small stories that she would share she, when she worked for Cerner, traveling and the conversations that she would have with people by just doing the sign of cross and praying before she ate um, her meals um, or just asking to borrow the rental car to go to mass while she was traveling. And so just seeing that it, it wasn't these like big grand things that she was doing or actions that she was taking, but just these small little things that display to the people around her that one, she was Catholic, um, but, but two, that she would be willing to talk to them and be open to them coming with her or whatever that might be. So she was a really great inspiration for me. Even when I worked for Kappa, um, I was in a similar boat there too. I think really largely inspired by Jess because I would ask to borrow our minivan rental keys on Sundays to go to mass. And so then I would get these Snapchats from my friends that I worked with when they'd be, we'd be all over the country. I was on a team of 18 women and we'd all be in different states. And I'd get Snapchats of them like watching their like Protestant sermon on their computer. It's like, got my <laughs> Jesus in today. Or um, they'd go home and they'd get like, I don't know, Love Does, which is a Bob Goff book if you're not yeah. familiar. And, and they're like reading about Jesus today or listening to my praise and worship music today. Yeah. And that I just became this person that they could turn to, um, to share and like live in community in that way, even though at times like Kappa could be isolating. Um, so yeah, Jess really paved the way of just, it's just small little actions in living your day-to-day life that speak volumes to the people around you. Taylor, when you were sharing your, your testimony as a as a youngster and and into now <clears throat> i think it this this is a little bit about myself sometimes i get self-conscious at moments because i i have a similar upbringing one that i can't really think of many times when i didn't feel loved right mm-hmm. um and that's becoming rarer and rarer so um do you ever get hesitant to share that that piece of your story um because it is so rare. Um, and then I then I have a question about that too. Yeah. I think that this is a recent revelation that I've had, that there, wa- there weren't many times that I felt unloved. Um, and so I, yeah, I haven't, I feel like I haven't been hesitant to share it. Mm-hmm. I think if anything, like since having that revelation of being able to share, like cultivating a loving family is so important. Um, cultivating like that domestic church that we talk about a lot mm-hmm. with your your family is so important and so sharing that with friends that like yeah. it's just the simple act of loving one another well um, and reminding one another of how loved they are within within the home is so important and that was my follow-up is what is um, what were a couple things and practical or or more abstract whatever that you would hope to implement uh, with with God willing your own kids someday to to let them to feel that same love because it's something that as it becomes rarer I think it's important to share mm-hmm. um, those principles yeah um, I think as a family we grew up every night having dinner on the table and sharing our highs and lows wow. and we've talked about this before with my brothers but just that it it really forced us to articulate our day um, and to have good conversational skills around the table, kind of like this podcast, to be able to like then ask follow-up questions of one another. Um, but it it forced, one, having family dinner and, and having that time together forced us to talk 
with one another, um, especially forcing each of us to talk about our particular days and to recognize that there has to be a high and a low of every day, you know? And sometimes the highs were really high and sometimes the lows were really low. And sometimes it was the note that mom put in your lunchbox was your high and and that was it. Um, but yeah, so I think just finding ways to, to cultivate communication and, and to celebrate the ways in which you feel loved each day just help you recognize. I think I realize in a lot of my friends now or, or a lot of society now that if you look for the bad things, you're going to see more of the bad things. Um, but if you're taught to look for the positive things and live with like a more positive view, which I'm a positive poly by nature, but <laughs> um, is that a is that a phrase? I've never heard that. Before. Negative Nancy, oh, positive, positive poly. poly. Oh wow, yeah. I love it. I guess I only look at the negatives. So oh no, yeah. father. I've heard about Nancy. I've heard, of, I've heard of Debbie Downer. I've yes, heard all- yes, yes, yes. Debbie Downer. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe I made up positive poly, but I like it. I am positive poly. Um, <laughs> but like if you if you look for those things, right? Like it, also like the acts of Thanksgiving, I think it like yeah. made it easier for me to recognize like this wasn't just some happenstance, but like I can thank mm. Jesus for this. <laughs> I can thank him for the good latte that I had, if that's the only positive of my day, you know? Or like the stranger that smiled at me on the street or the woman that brought me my food at dinner and and how she asked me how my day was and genuinely cared. Like it forces you to look for the positive things in your life. Um, yeah. I don't know if that fully Yeah, No, sense. I like it. I like being around the dining room table. That's, that's the sacred ground. And then during the sacred ground, we're going to be together. We're mm-hmm. going to talk and here's the prompt. It's simple. Uh, let's do it. And it's interesting as you share that <clears throat> I'm kind of thinking about the podcast, you know, that's, you shared at the beginning and do often father about it being important that the inspiration just what's more inspiring than hearing somebody coming to the Lord, you know, it kind of resets you as you're going through your day. What could be humdrum? You hear the story about how somebody came to Jesus and it's, it's living and active and it, it ignites something in you, you know, it reminds you of what the, the Holy Trinity is dwelling in your, in your soul. That's a big deal, right. right? You just have to hear a story about it, but it's having intentional time to, to have the ears to hear it. Uh, if I just came here and just was like, oh, I guess I'm going to talk to Father and Taylor, and I don't have the ears to actually want to get to know your story, mm-hmm. it's a pretty blah podcast. It's a monologue. Yeah. I, I mean, it could be way richer if I bring myself, just mm-hmm. like if you bring yourself to the dining room table. Right. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's good. If you think about like Jesus's life, if you look through it through a particular lens, you could probably think like, wow, this is really negative. Like he was rejected by so many people (laughs) and like he wandered in the desert with no food for 40 days, you know, like they're like, it could look pretty negative through a certain lens, but Mm -hmm. you look through it. Yeah. He died on a cross. Like it, yeah, you could totally be Debbie Downer, negative Nancy over there. But if you look at it through like the lens of love, which I think is what my mind was trained to do by looking at the end of the day of looking at the positives, then and it's a really beautiful and positive story to want to read. I'm always curious um, to ask people about their experiences of confession um, because I know like a lot of us maybe grew up, you know, in, in your average parish or your average Catholic family that isn't, you know, particularly devout or, or pious. Um, 
in in certain aspects, confession can easily fall by the wayside. And so like I, I meet a lot of people, for example, if they come to sort of a deeper commitment to the Lord or conversion, like in high school or college, for many of them, that's the first time they've gone to confession since their first confession in like second grade, you know, before first communion. Um, not always, you know, especially if someone went to Catholic school, perhaps they went, you know, once <laughs> or twice a year because everyone was doing it. And, but especially if someone, you know, was a public school kid, CC, mm -hmm. CCD or I was, I was CCD for a little while. Me too. Um, I didn't learn until seminary i think what it actually stood for but uh well, quick, quick quiz do you guys know no catechetical catholic catechetical disciples i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i guess <laughs> confraternity of, of christian doctrine yeah how about that <laughs> i'm glad we called it ccd yeah Same. how about that how about that um, ask me next week let's see if i remember okay come up with a new well okay i'll ask you that one next week yeah okay <laughs> But anyhow, um, yeah, so like what was your experience of confession like through childhood? Did you have one big confession, whatever, high school, college, where you sort of like, oh, man, I haven't been to this in a long time or, yeah. No, I wouldn't say there was one big one. I will say I just told this story. There's this family that I have babysat their kids for forever and they're getting ready to move. And so I've been helping them pack boxes and stuff. And their mom got onto them for not brushing their teeth. And I told them that when I was a kid, I hated brushing my teeth. And so like, that was the thing. I lied every night. I would like get my toothbrush wet oh and be like, gosh. yeah, I brushed my teeth. And my parents would be like, no, you didn't. So I vividly remember my first confession going to sit in front of the priest and be like, I lied about brushing my teeth. Um, but yeah, we went, I think most years, at least once a year, uh, as maybe not as a family, Sometimes I say as a family, and it's more so just my parents and I, because my brothers were out of the house so by the time I really remember most of my <laughs> life. Yeah. Um, so I remember going once a year with my parents, and then kind of in that same, maybe maybe not so much in high school, but once I got to college, yeah, I didn't really have like one big confession, but I, just, I did start going more regularly as I began to like grow my understanding of confession. Um and kind of that same idea of, like I said earlier, like wanting to be a good person. Like I knew when I messed up and like I wanted to feel forgiven. So like I would selfishly go mm -hmm. <laughs> to confession. What did you learn about confession that that uh, increased your willingness to go, to, to branch out of that selfishness component or the imperfect contrition? Yeah. I I don't know that there's anything in particular. I just think how... I don't remember what I read recently, but um, kind of this idea of like, I just hear things and I trust them. No, it's this song. You guys know Maverick City Music? Yes. There's a song called Man of Your Word. Yeah. And so it basically is like saying like anytime like God says something, like I trust it because it's God. And so I'm sure that I'm like pretty confident at some point in my freshman year, someone just like biblically explained confession to me hmm. and it just stuck and I was like okay I should go and like that's kind of how I've been most of my life like hmm. if you explain it to me once really well I might not be able to articulate it back to you but it'll stick within my heart and like motivate me to act if that yep. makes sense how are you Taylor sort of living on mission if you will currently 
Um, you're obviously in a sort of a unique position and working, quote unquote, for the church. You know, mm-hmm. it's not the same as being an employee of Cerner and, you know, being surrounded potentially by a high percentage of people with no faith background, perhaps, or perhaps even people who have a mistrust of organized religion in general. You know, you work with people who try and love Jesus and like, <laughs> you know, believe believe that he's uh, the most important thing in life. Um, but obviously you still have circles of friends and, you know, all that. So how do you, yeah, how are you striving, especially since you took this position, but maybe even when you were at Cerner or as a consultant, you know, how how have you been and, and how do you plan to continue striving to spread the gospel? Yeah. I think recently um, I've recognized in my life because exactly what you just said, of I kind of live on mission through my job and the interactions I have with people through City on a Hill at events um, and just like the base level of what I do with City on a Hill. But I recognize that most of my deep friendships in life um, are not Catholic, some mm. of them not necessarily even Christian. Mm. Um and so just recognizing actually like in the more recent, like the last couple of months that kind of like what I said about confession, like I, I know in my heart what I believe and why I believe it, but to be able to articulate it and speak that truth to others, I'm not the greatest at. Um, and so with those relationships in my life, like equipping myself, but then also growing in like a humble confidence to be able to speak the truth to the people that I I care most deeply about, Mm. Um, to be able to share, yeah, how loved they are, to be reminded of their identity when they're stressed about work, um, when they're caught up in society or or social justice issues, like just being able to turn to truth in that moment and and remind them of of the purpose of it all, if that makes sense. really reminding them of like their own unique identity and that that is a gift to those that they encounter, Hmm. (laughs) which I've, I've toyed with like tying this into my testimony before of like my conversion to my understanding of like the reason for in the church teaching with like NFP. (laughs) Um, Because I think that is like a huge piece of my story and like understanding like how the church does guide us towards truth, if that makes sense. Um, and so I have a lot of friends in my life or, or acquaintances even who there's this like natural movement to wanting to be like more organic, right? So like not taking artificial hormones or not using like artificial means of birth control. And they know that I have like an understanding of NFP and that like I naturally chart my cycles. And so they're like, can you teach me about that? So I can, you know apply it to my own life, which again is a delicate balance because in their eyes, they would want to learn this to abstain from having a child. And I am certainly not trained in like helping them to achieve that goal in their mind. Um, And so, yeah, just being able to like help them understand like the base level and then encourage them to like seek out like an NFP, like a fertility care center or something to give them like the proper like understanding and education to apply it to their own life. If that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It, was cr- it was really clear. Oops. 
Yeah, so you would you would have friends then that would have as a goal the use of NFP to permanently abstain to like never have kids. Is that what you is that what you mean? Or? Not necessarily, okay. but um, like at least for now. Sure. Um, maybe until they got married, or even into the first mm. five ten years of their marriage, um, mm. for like for an extended wow. period of time yeah. until like they chose to have a child. Yeah. Yeah. Do most of them you think kind of fall into the category of having? Yeah, we want one or two kids, kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Have you? I'm curious. Have you gotten into conversations regarding that and just the whole concept of openness to life and larger families or seeing children as a gift or like all those different kind of related ways of talking about it have you gotten into those kind of conversations um how do i put this yes and no like not necessarily more so along the lines of like openness to life i don't know how to put this like tactfully but um yeah it's more so just like use it like the act of nfp charting as a yeah as a contraceptive to prevent having children Hmm. um and so i I actually usually take it through the lens of like when you have sex and they want to use a form of contraceptive it's saying like i i want all of you or i love all of you except for this um, so more so like in the act of like sex more so than, or yeah, more so than like the fruit of a child <laughs> after, mm-hmm. if that sure. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I like that broadens the scope, Father. You know, mm-hmm. it, it pivots the conversation and gives greater perspective because that's what contraception did. As we all know, it, it, it divorced the two concepts. Right. Um. And to to bring those back gently in a conversation that they're actually intricately linked is kind of a mind blower for Mm -hmm. our generation. Yeah. Yeah. The irony, of course, about contraception is you don't get either of the ends of the sexual act. You don't get (laughs) full union or openness to life. (laughs) Um, So, but um, that's interesting. Yeah. I've, uh, I found that that seems to be one of the harder nuts to crack with kind of the secular mentality is like the the joy of abandoning yourself to God's will as a couple regarding the size of your family. Um, and when you, obviously we know when you find couples who've done that, it's kind of a thrill, you know, this sort of like almost wild west, not really, <laughs> but like, I mean, in prudence, of course, like in and discernment in prayer, but 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 just sort of this this thrill of yeah why why wouldn't we trust god more than our like he i mean he's the one who put our life together for goodness sake and like <laughs> he's going to he's going to take care of things and we're going to trust him and um just sort of like the freedom that comes from that and but i but i found like in marriage prep and and with certain couples who maybe aren't totally on board yet with the church's vision of um and just kind of walking with them it's been hard not to crack because our society is just so <laughs> built around self-sufficiency and having everything in your life under control and ordered exactly as you want it. And you have all the years planned out, you know, between now and your retirement. And, <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know, I'm always interested to hear if people have come up with sort of wisdom infused ways to sort of crack that code with people and like convince them to throw caution to the wind 
in terms right. of <laughs> openness to life, you know? Um, so I think for me and the friends that I'm having these conversations with, they're not, they're not married. And so we're not in a place to like really even think about having kids. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas I think if maybe we were married and, and we're ready, mm -hmm. yeah. Or like I would be open to having children and they were married. So in their mind, they could have a child and it wouldn't be the end of the world that it may be more of a conversation hmm. for us, but yeah, hmm. I'm not there yet, but hmm. I can see for me, like, because I'm not married, I guess I don't, like, I'm such a planner. I, I can see how hard it would be for people to, yeah, throw caution hmm. to the wind and be like, I have this trip to Europe planned in the fall, but <laughs> whatever, you know, yeah. if I'm six months pregnant by then, you know, if I sure. was married. But yeah, I can see how difficult that would be. And I, and I have seen it even within Catholic circles, too, oh, yeah. of people like to plan. And I can I can see myself in the future, God willing, I get married, like being tempted to want to like confine children to my plan, mm -hmm. <laughs> which would be hard to overcome. But it's an it's an eager and welcome challenge for me because I understand how it is a gift and not necessarily something for us to control. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, you think of yeah any other clever ways of convincing people? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me know. I'm I'm always looking for good. Uh, I don't know if you just call it turns of phrases, but good sort of like ways of presenting that. That anecdotes. can kind of, yeah, like ways that can kind of captivate someone's mind and heart to being like, well, that is actually like um, attractive the way you describe this idea of letting God decide, you yeah. know, how many kids you have. And um, so great. What other, maybe on that same note, unless, are we out of time? Sort of. <laughs> it's been a great conversation. Thanks yeah. for sharing your story. Thanks for and, listening. Uh, yeah. Hope you have many more years of growth in your own relationship with God and kind of witnessing to other people with that. And yeah, I'll see you around since we work together. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> Continue to see the transformation. Yeah. Good. Well, we're signing off, folks. Stay tuned for our next episode. I have no idea who will be on, but uh, whoever it is, it's going to be great. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. That concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Consider subscribing to our channel so that you never miss a future episode. And check out our website, kansascityonahill.org to see more about our organization or to see our calendar of upcoming events. And if City on a Hill has been a gift to you, consider partnering in our mission as a monthly donor. See you next week!